Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 11, to grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. As I've told you in the past, I most certainly will tell you again, the book of Revelation is not a hard book to understand. You probably say, no, Rodney, not that outline again. (laughs) Of course. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, John is told to write the things which he has seen, to write the things which are, and to write the things which shall take place after this. This is the divine outline. And the reason why every single week I want to put this outline before your eyes is because it's important for you to understand that the whole book of Revelation fits into this one verse. The outline of the book. It's a three-section outline book, and it's not a difficult book to understand. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, not revelations. Nothing drives me more nuts than when you hear people say revelations and they put an S on there. It's not the revelations. It's one revelation of the one man, Jesus Christ. And this whole book outlines, or this one verse outlines the entire book. It is a three-section outline. I like to call it a divine outline. The first section, John is told to write the things which he has seen. What has John seen? Chapter 1, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to do so. Chapter 1, John saw the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ. John saw the reality of Jesus Jesus is risen, Jesus is glorified there in chapter 1. And then the second section, John is told to write the things which are, chapters 2 and 3. Write the things which are, the church period. John is given seven messages to give to seven churches there in the area of Asia Minor. And these churches cover the entire span of church history. From Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, to the church of Laodicea. Chapter 2 and 3, the second section. And in the third and the final section, John is told to write the things which will take place metatauta. That's the Greek word for after this. Metatauta, after this, M-E-T-A-T-A-U-T-A. Metatauta, it means after this. After what? Chapter 4, we know after church history, chapter 4, John is caught up. John is raptured there in chapter 4. Chapter 5, Jesus stands and takes the title deed to the planet Earth, which rightfully belongs to him. 
And then chapter 6, we move into the great tribulation. Chapter 6 through 19, we see the great tribulation. And it's a time that God is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. It's an awful time in chapters 6 through 19. And then we move into chapters 20, 21, and 22. Jesus establishes his kingdom for a thousand years. Satan wages war against him. He overthrows Satan and throws the beast, the false prophet, and hell in the bottomless pit. And then in chapter 22, Jesus reigns forever and ever and ever. And guess what? We all live happily ever after. That's the whole book. It's not hard. It's not difficult. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It's not concealed. It's not hidden. It's not esoteric. God wants us to know and to understand these end times event. We have been, for the last couple of months, in this third and final section known as the tribulation period. The church is on a seven-year honeymoon with the Lord. We've been raptured. Meanwhile, back on the ranch, chapter 6 is a time of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation. During the tribulation, we have seen seven seal judgments that have come upon the earth. And then here in chapter 11, the first 14 verses, we continue in this divine intermission or a pause or a parenthetical period between the sixth and the seventh trumpet blast. There is a intermission or pause or rest between these two blasts of trumpets. And then in verses 15 through 19 of chapter 11, we have the angel blasting that seventh trumpet. Now, last week I gave you the outline, and we're going to continue with that same outline this morning. Last week in verses 1 and 2, we saw the measuring of the temple. And then again in verse 2, we saw the measuring of the worshipers in the temple. And then this morning we're going to continue with that outline here in chapter 11, as in verses 3 through 14, we'll talk about the two witnesses. And then in verses 19, 15 through 19, we have the seventh trumpet sounds. So this morning we'll cover the two witnesses. And in verses 15 through 19, we'll cover the seventh trumpet that sounds. Revelation chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. If you are there, say a hearty amen. amen. And then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it. For it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot 42 months. And this is where we pick up this morning. I will give power to my two witnesses. Underline that. And they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees. And this is a very interesting key verse. These are, these who? These witnesses are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, Fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemy. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Give me your attention. Notice John is told he is given a reed 
and told to measure the temple, to rise and measure the temple and measure the altar and measure the worshipers there. And so John is told to measure that temple. We talked about it last week for, the, for two purposes. Number one, for evaluation. And number two, for ownership. God tells John to measure this temple because God is claiming ownership. God is claiming ownership of it and to use that temple for either blessings or judgment. Last week we talked about that. The Jerusalem dilemma is what I like to call it. Oh, you only need to turn on the news and you can see that there is problems in the Middle East. And the problems have everything to do with the Temple Mount. And we talked about that. Who will control the Temple Mount? And we talked about the fact that the man who comes on the scene and is able to rebuild the temple. Israel, the people of God, are going to go back to temple worship. They are preparing for that now. 60% of all materials needed to go back to temple worship are already in place. So they're going to go back to temple worship. And this Antichrist, this man, is going to facilitate rebuilding the temple. The people will go back to temple worship for three and a half years. Half of seven years at that halfway mark, the Antichrist will set up an image of himself in the temple and demand to be worshipped. Jesus called it the abomination which causes desolation. So when the Antichrist sets up his image in the temple, demands to be worshipped, the people of God, they know this is the ultimate blasphemy. So the Antichrist will then turn on the Jewish people. We talked about that last week, and if you weren't here, I really would encourage you to pick up the tape because I think that it was one of those, you know, pivotal Bible studies, if you will, in understanding all that's going on in the Middle East and, and, and just kind of understanding the book of Revelation. We have the sermons are, are on sale at the bookstore if you like to pick up all the CDs from the book of Revelation, and you can pick them up for $2,000. That's a bargain. Actually, there's a lot of them. But we have them on sale if you like to pick them up. So you might want to do that. It'll give you some understanding as to what's going on in our world, even politically. But I want you to bring your attention to verse 3. Look at verse 3. God says, I will give power to my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy 1,260 days. Now, you remember last week I told you we got to this part, and then I told you at the end of service, I said, if you want to know who the two witnesses are, you got to come back next week. And so I'm glad you're all here. And all week long, people have been saying to me, Rodney, Rodney, who's the two witnesses, man? Who are the two witnesses? One guy even emailed me. You're going to tell me who the two witnesses are? Last night, someone came up to me, Rodney, come on, man. Who are the two witnesses? And I said, you want to know? He says, yeah, yeah. I said, come close, come close. I'll tell you tomorrow at church. Oh, man. <laughs> Who are the two witnesses? Well, let's first of all establish something here. And I think it's important to establish. First of all, this. Throughout history, God always has his witnesses. God never leaves himself without a witness. God always preserves 
a witness. And even in the midst of the greatest time of apostasy that the world has ever seen or that the world will ever see again, God has a witness. And as a matter of fact, in our text, God not only has a witness, he has two witnesses. Now, why two? Why not three witnesses? Why not seven witnesses? Why not one witnesses? Witness. Witnesses. Just checking to see if you're awake. Why two? Well, because 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 says, by the mouth of two witnesses, every word would be established. So this pattern of two witnesses is seen throughout the Bible. John chapter 20, verse 12, two angels, you know the Easter story, are standing at the tomb. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus sent out his disciples to witness in what number? Two by two. Numbers chapter 13, Moses is sent in the 12 spies and two, Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report and they said, we need to believe God and we need to trust God. So in the mouth of two witnesses, every word would be established. And I want you to notice something about these two witnesses. First of all, they just show up on the scene. We've got no prior information. We haven't been leading up to the introduction of these two witnesses. No, you haven't heard them before in the book of Revelation. They just kind of show up. And notice what they are wearing. Did you notice they're wearing sackcloth? This is the designer label of the prophets. Sackcloth. These guys are wearing sackcloth. They aren't wearing Armani suits. They're wearing sackcloth. Now, in the mind of any Jew, listen, in the mind of any Jew, when they saw these two guys dressed in sackcloth, it would immediately, they would immediately understand the message that they were trying to communicate. Sackcloth are judgment clothes. This is an object lesson to repent. What they're wearing is an object lesson to repent. These two witnesses appear dressed in sackcloth because their ministry is to strip away delusions and lies and satanic propaganda, which the Antichrist will perpetuate as truth. And so they show up in Jerusalem wearing sackcloth and they will witness for 1,260 days or 42 months or three and a half years. Now, who are they? Well, most scholars are convinced that they are Jews. Most scholars are convinced that they are Jews. Notice again, if you will, in your Bibles, in verse 4. Notice they are called two olive trees and two candlesticks. Notice that. These two witnesses symbolize anointing and light. Now, this verse, verse 4, takes us back to Zechariah chapter 4, verse 4. Don't look it up. Look it up in your own time. But I'll tell you, there in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 4, Zechariah has this end times vision of olive trees. And these olive trees are producing olive oil. They're producing olive oil, and this oil is flowing down these golden pipes right into the candle bowl. Now, to listen, to any Jew, and particularly to the priest, when they read Zechariah's prophecy, they would say, get out of here. 
Incredible. Wow. I mean, you mean, in there, this is what they would say, you mean there is a perpetual flow of oil to keep the lamps in the temple ignited and we don't have to pit the olives and we don't have to crush the olives for the oil? You mean it's going to just keep flowing and flowing and flowing? And it's in that context that Zechariah was told to say to Zerubbabel, it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's the context of that verse. We love that verse. I love that verse. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I love that verse. But in the context of which the verse was used, it's talking about the oil that's going to be available in the end times in the temple. And this oil, listen, is not going to have to be gathered by the priest as they crush the olives and pit the olives and gather the oil. It's not, it's not going to be by the might of the priest. It's not by might. It's not by priestly power, but it's by my spirit, says the oil, says the Lord. So this, this unceasing supply of oil speaks of the unending flow of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. This oil speaks of anointing, it speaks of might, and it speaks of light. So these two guys, they symbolically are like lampstands giving light in the midst of darkness on the earth. And they are fed by the spirit of God himself and their witness cannot be extinguished. They cannot be eliminated until their work is done. And if anyone tries to quench them, these guys become human flamethrowers. Out of their mouth proceeds fire to destroy. They are shining bright and anointed to preach during the tribulation. These guys are shining bright and anointed to preach during the tribulation. I don't know about you, but that speaks volumes to me of the grace of God. Even during the tribulation. The, why does the tribulation exist? Why is there seven years of tribulation? Because... People have repeatedly over the last 2,000 years refused Jesus Christ. And so God during the tribulation is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. But isn't it interesting to you? I find it pretty fascinating that even during the tribulation, God is still yet giving men an opportunity to repent. These two witnesses are preaching the gospel. Revelation chapter 7, we find 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams preaching the gospel during the tribulation. Revelation chapter 14, we know an angel is flying throughout the midst of heaven preaching the everlasting gospel so that people will be saved. And here in Revelation chapter 11, these two witnesses exist for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to preach the gospel during the tribulation, God is patient with people. That's why we sing amazing love. How can it be that you would die for me? God's patience, God's love. And listen, he's patient with you today. He's patient with you this morning. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, he's been patient with you. 
For the love of God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come, come to repentance. God is long-suffering. Long-suffering. Say amen. Because that's true. He is. And he's waiting. And even during the tribulation, these guys are preaching powerfully. Repent and get right. It's not too late. Well, who are they? You say. Rodney, tell me. I'm waiting. Who are they? Who are these witnesses? Well, let me tell you this. There are many differing opinions as to who these two witnesses are. And quite frankly, we don't know who these two witnesses are. You're like, you mean to tell me I came to church for you to tell me you don't know? You could have called me. Well, we don't know who these two witnesses are, but we are pretty confident and sure who one of them is. Oh, we know. How do you know, Rodney? Well, look at the text again, if you will, with me in verses 6 through 8. These witnesses have power, notice this, to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And when they finish in verse 7, their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against these two witnesses and he will overcome them and he will kill them and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city. That's Jerusalem, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. You see, this is how we know it's Jerusalem, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations, everyone in the world will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put in the graves. Interesting. We don't know who both of them are, but we do know who one of them is. Notice they have power to shut up heaven so that it does not rain. Now, of course, you remember James chapter 5, verse 17 tells us that Elijah prayed and it did not rain for three and a half years. Same amount of time. Interesting. And then, of course, we've got this great story in 2 Kings, one of my favorites. Great story in 2 Kings, the king of Samaria, bad king. He sends for Elijah. He sent a captain. And 50 men to go get Elijah. And so the captain and the 50 men, they show up and he says, Elijah, the king wants to see you. And Elijah says, really? And he calls down fire from heaven and consumes them all. Well, the king sends another captain and 50 men. And he comes to Elijah. He says, Elijah. The king wants to see you now. Elijah says, you want a piece of me? You want a piece of me, baby? Come on. And then he calls down fire from heaven and consumes them all. And then the king sent another captain and 50 men. And this captain was smart. He comes to Elijah. He says, Elijah, 
prophet of God, man of God. The king wants to see you. Elijah, I'm a family man. I've got family and kids. Elijah, please, the king, would you just go see the king? Man, I don't want to die. I'm sure that's how it happened in the text. I'm pretty confident. And so Elijah said, okay, and he goes to see the king. But he called down fire. He had the power to call down fire from heaven. Now, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 tells us it is once appointed for men to die and then judgment. Everyone must die. It is appointed for men to die. Well, we know that Elijah never died. He was caught up in a fiery chariot. We know that. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.